You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. Welcome. I'm Jackson Klein. Proudly in our winter coats, wearing smells from laboratories, facing a dying... She's defied gravity as an Elphaba standby, worked as Angelica Schuyler, and controlled minds as Allison on Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. But before taking on these roles, Emmy Raver-Lampman had the unique experience of performing in the ensemble of the 2010 tour of Hair, which ended up playing a Broadway theater the following summer. On this episode of My First Time, Emmy joined me in the virtual studio to chat all about making her Broadway debut and how her experiences as an ensemblist shaped her later work as a principal. Here's our conversation. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hey, listeners, if you're a fan of The Ensemblist, here's another podcast we think you might enjoy from Backstage, the number one resource for performers and talent seekers. In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast features intimate, in-depth interviews with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater stars. From Brian Cranston to Natalie Portman to Laura Linney. Sometimes you'll have experiences that are great. Yeah. And those are magical and you have to enjoy every second of those. Gotcha. And then sometimes you're going to be in productions that just <laughs> don't work. And they're painful and it's awful and it's embarrassing, but you learn a lot. Tune into these weekly conversations full of inspiration, know-how, and advice on navigating the biz by subscribing to Backstage in the Envelope, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, can you please introduce yourself and tell our listeners where you're calling from today? My name is Emmy Raver-Lampman, and I am calling from Los Angeles, California. Fabulous. Thanks so much for joining me, Emmy. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're so excited. Let's go ahead and jump into our time machines and head back to early 2010, shall we? Oh my God, I was such a child then. (laughs) What were you up to uh, professionally and educationally when you first auditioned for the Hair National Tour? The way that the hair tour came about for me was I was in my sophomore year of college. We had just done our main stage production, which was Bright Lights, Big City. And the director of the show is now a really good friend of mine. His name is Tom Wachunik, and he was the artistic director for the Astoria Performing Arts Center. And they were doing a production of Children of Eden that summer, and he asked me to audition for it. I auditioned and ended up playing even Mama Noah in that production in like a church basement in Queens. It was like my first New York professional theater experience. Um, and it was amazing. And I like to this day still have some like lifelong friends from that experience. But the choreographer of that production of Children of Eden was my friend Christine O'Grady. And she was the associate choreographer for Hair, like on Broadway for the tours when it went to London. And so she knew that they were sending out a tour and they were casting for it. And so she asked me if I 
I had any interest. And, you know, I was a little hesitant at first because I was still in school and it would have required me to leave. Both of my parents are educators. And so like not graduating from college was not an option. <laughs> and I was getting ready to go into my junior year. I was actually on track to graduate a semester early. So I only had a year and a half left of college. So I kind of auditioned without telling my parents. <laughs> I kind of wanted the experience. I had zero expectations. I was so, so green. I had only done a couple like professional auditions. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a manager. And so I auditioned and had a callback and ended up getting cast. I went to school at Marymount Manhattan College, which is on the Upper East Side. And the reason when I was looking at schools that I picked Marymount is because they were interested in students curating their own educational experience. And with guidance and with permission, they kind of encouraged you to go out and use New York City as part of your educational experience at the school. They didn't mind if we auditioned, kind of got those real life experiences under our belt because that's so important. But you're still kind of under the confines of the educational umbrella. My college advisor at the time, I just told him, hey, I auditioned for this thing. I got it. I don't really know how to make this work. This feels like an opportunity of a lifetime. I didn't even have my equity card yet. So I would get my equity card. I'd get to go on a national tour. I'd never done that before. And he was like, yeah, well, like, let's figure out how we can make this work. I ended up taking the offer, going out on tour, but I was also still in school and ended up doing my entire junior year while I was on the road. Were you taking classes full time? I was taking classes full time. So I was like in Washington, D.C. at night running around being a hippie. And then during the day was like taking like really serious like biology classes on like HIV and AIDS. <laughs> so how are you finding that balance of school and work? You're doing eight shows a week. You're understudying a principal role. You're traveling on your days off. How did you do it? I honestly think because I didn't know any different, honestly, I think because I was so young, I had this like built-in stamina. It was okay that I was staying up late and then having to get up early and having to write these 15-page papers on religion or whatever, whatever the classes that I was taking. I think I just was so caught up in the fact like I'd actually pulled it off. Like I was like on tour, being able to experience professional theater in this way for the first time. And then also being able to still graduate college at the same time. I was just making it work the best that I could. And so were my professors and everyone was like really understanding and I enjoyed it. And it just mostly was like a lot of reading because I didn't have to go to class. I just was carrying around these like giant textbooks in my trunk. <laughs> it's like everybody's everybody else's trunks were like full of clothes and shoes and like fold up collapsible bicycles. And I just had like a full trunk full of textbooks. It was almost a decade ago. And I still look back on that experience and there's like so much that I have forgotten about because I think I just was in this like survival mode of like, great, so we travel on Monday and I have a paper due on Tuesday. If we're in the airport for four hours, I can finish the reading there. And then the second we get to the hotel in the new city, I can't go out and have dinner with the cast. I have to go back to my room and I have to hunker down and write this four page paper. It's so funny because like when I think back on my time on the road with hair, like, I don't really remember that part. <laughs> I actually remember being on stage and going on for Dion for the first time and being in Seattle and being in all these amazing cities. It's like the part that my brain doesn't remember the most for some reason. But then whenever anybody asks me to talk about it, I'm like, oh, right. I was fully still in school. <laughs> so you are playing all these wonderful cities, D.C., Seattle, and then you do something completely unprecedented. You go to Broadway. When did you find out that that was happening? We were in Los Angeles. We were actually here at the Pantages. And we had like a company meeting where they like had us come to the theater before half hour and they like sat us down 
And like Oscar Hustis was there. Diane Paulus was there. Like meeting with like air quotes. And everyone was like, we're closing. We're all losing our jobs. They're shutting down the tour early. Everyone instantly goes to the negative <laughs> just to prepare themselves. They sat us all down and essentially were just like, hey, this is totally crazy. This opportunity kind of came up for us to potentially go back to Broadway. <laughs> and everyone was kind of like, is this a joke? We didn't really know to take it seriously or not. That would have been a bunch of people's Broadway debuts, including mine. And then there also was people that were also in the original cast on that tour with us that were like, oh my God, what do you mean? We're going back to Broadway? We just left. It was kind of an amazing experience. There was an opening at the St. James for like 10 weeks because the show had done so well in the park, ended up bringing it to Broadway and then had been to Broadway and then it ended up going to London in the tour. People just loved it. And I think the opportunity that presented itself to bring the show back to New York in the summer was was just a good idea and I also think there may have been a gap in our tour schedule but that was like a 10-week gap that they didn't really know what to do with because you know the summer is like every theater across the country is booked during the summer because kids are out of school and everybody wants to take their kids to see shows and so I think there just was a gap and so they're like well the St. James is open like why don't we just go back to Broadway as opposed to closing the tour and then waiting 10 weeks and then opening it up again we were all grateful because I think we were kind of all expecting maybe we're not gonna have a job for two and a half months it just was kind of this very surreal real. I was like, wait a minute. So are you telling me that for my first professional job, I get my equity card, my first national tour and my Broadway debut? That's insane. That's incredible. So you make your Broadway debut, first preview at the St. James, July 5th, 2011. What do you remember about this milestone in the days leading up to it? It's so funny because we'd been doing the show at that point for almost a year. And so there weren't nerves in the sense of like performance. The show was so rooted in all of us at that point. Casey Sheik was on tour with us as Jeannie. She'd done it on Broadway and then went on tour with us. And so she'd been doing it for two and a half years at that point. And she also went to London. It just was like a mix of emotions, I think, across the board. There were people that it was their Broadway debut and they were so excited. And then people that had been doing it for such a long time. And it just felt very deja vu to be back in New York doing the show again. There weren't any nerves necessarily. I have to say like I never grew up with like the dream of I am going to be on Broadway. I feel sometimes like I just was doing theater because I enjoyed it. I did it when I was a kid and then I did it in middle school and then I went to a performing arts high school and then when it was time to look at colleges I just was like well yeah I mean I've been doing theater and it's the thing that has stuck the most out of all the hobbies that I had as a kid. A musical theater program sounds intriguing and something I want to do but I made sure that I went to like a liberal arts college. I didn't want to go to a conservatory program because I felt like I'd already had that experience. The Broadway debut moment still is a little surreal to me. It was mostly just excitement to be in a theater that feels like so iconic, doing a show in New York that New York loved so much and the community loved so much. So it felt like really awesome to like bring this thing home. The funny thing that I always remember is like on the first day in the theater, we moved in and we all like went up to our dressing rooms and do Jamson, they have the St. James and like on every single person's dressing room station, there was like a giant bouquet of flowers that for some reason has like stuck with me for 10 years. Like that small gesture from like Jordan Roth and everyone that works at do Jamson. I just was like, wow, what a unprecedented and like unnecessary little thing to do. It just was like welcoming us home into our new space. I also think it's really hard for your family to like chase you around the country and see you do your job. So it was really nice to be somewhere for 10 weeks. They all got to experience me on Broadway, which was just a really cool family moment. 
the thing I remember the most was like finally feeling like I was a part of this community more than it really registered to me that I was like getting my Broadway debut. Like I just think I was like, oh, look at this new community of humans that the world has now opened up to me that I didn't really know anything about before. The ways that things are done and going to Sardi's for your discounted lunch, you, you know, those in between shows, you know, those kinds of things. So since Closing Hair, you've performed on Broadway several more times in the ensembles of Jekyll and Hyde, A Night with Janis Joplin as a swing, and then Hamilton. What's the biggest lesson you learned by working as an ensemblist? I think I have really grown a very strong tool belt as a performer. Being a vacation swing and being a swing and being an onstage cover and being a standby. I think I have learned a lot of really important tools that have helped me in one job and then have like come back around and helped me grow in another job. And I think being a swing and being an understudy and covering somebody, you really have to learn to like split your brain into several different compartments. When I was on stage and covering somebody that was also on stage, you're never just doing your track until you feel comfortable going on for that track and you don't have to think about it. I feel like you're always on stage with your periphery paying attention to the roles that you cover to absorb new information. And also because the people that you understudy, their performances are always changing. As an understudy, as a standby, it is your job to fill in for them when they can't be there, but then to also not affect affect anybody else's show in a negative way. As their performances grow and as two actors in a scene decide to change a little bit of the blocking, you always are adapting to tiny, tiny little changes that people are making so that you can do your job to the best of your ability. You get this crazy eye for detail, or at least I did, and you're constantly always paying attention to four things happening at once. So the further I got in my career, the easier it became for me to learn new tracks. Learning to cover Dion and hair was really hard for me because I'd never done it before. Once I got comfortable with what I was had to do every night, then now I have to like switch my focus and start to learn her show from the inside out because it's very rare that they have a lot of time and can afford to swing you out so that you can watch the show from the audience. So you're watching it from the inside. And so you then learn how to like switch things around in your brain. You just have to be really observant and sponge-like taking in new information and taking in the choices and blocking of the roles that you cover. With every part that I understudied, kind of up until Wicked, I was like learning more and more and, and it would start to get easier and easier and easier. Then I would figure out what my process is. What do I need to do to learn these tracks the fastest? Once you're a standby, that's different because then you can actually sit in the audience and watch every night, but then you have to flip it in reverse the other way. So you're like, so what does that look like if I'm on the stage? <laughs> so I don't know, you just kind of build this tool belt for yourself. That was just so helpful as I went from show to show to show in my career. I think being in the ensemble and being an understudy and a swing and a standby, you learn how to be a leader so that when it is your turn in the spotlight, when you are no longer an understudy, when you finally get offered the part of a lead role, you know how to carry this company with you and beside you, not behind you. And because you can't do your job without the ensemble. Broadway doesn't work without an ensemble. People aren't lifted without an ensemble. And people don't have backup vocals without an ensemble. And there is so much of a show that is the spine and the backbone 
of a show that is the ensemble. And I feel like when you come up from the ensemble, you understand what that means and you see the bad side of it and you see the mistreatment and the disrespect. You feel it too. And I think I just, with all of those unfortunate moments that I had in my career, I'm not a grudge holder, but I took those as learning opportunities for when it is my turn, I will never do that to someone. Or when it is my turn, I will stand up when I see someone being treated that way. I will also make sure that I try to voice for the entire company and not just for the benefit of myself. I think that is the biggest thing that I learned throughout my career in the ensemble. When it was my turn to lead a company and to be the principal, I was able to understand how important it is that it comes from the top. You're sharing the boards with these people every night. Everyone deserves the same amount of respect and everyone is just trying to do their job. Everyone is trying to tell the same story. It's just really important that even the people that do not get to be on the stage every night feel respected and feel supported because at the end of the day, the show could not work without them. Special thanks to Emmy Raver-Lampman for joining us. You can catch her in Hamilton, streaming on Disney Plus starting July 3rd, and on Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. The Ensemblist was produced today by Mo Brady, Evan Alexander-Smith, and me, Jackson Klein. There are two great ways you can help The Ensemblist right now. The first is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The other is by becoming a Patreon member, which you can do at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Please follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on the Broadway Podcast Network at bpn.fm. You can also follow us on Instagram, where we share all of our latest episodes. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.